section seven of historic waterways six hundred miles of canoeing down the rock fox and wisconsin rivers by reuben goldthwaites this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Historic Waterways, 600 Miles of Canoeing Down the Rock, Fox, and Wisconsin Rivers by Reuben Goldthwaites. The Rock River, Chapter 5, Grand Detour Folks. We tramped back to the bridge in high spirits next morning over the flower-strewn prairie. The section man's wife was on hand with her entire step-laddered brood of six to see us off. As we carried down our traps to the beach and repacked, she kept up a continuous strain of talk, giving us a most edifying review of her life, and especially the particulars of how she and her man had first romantically met, while he was a gravel train hand on a far western railroad and she the cook in a portable construction barracks stillman's creek opens into the rock from the east through a pleasant glade a few rods below the bridge we took a pull up this historic tributary for a half mile or more it is a muddy stream some two and a half rods wide cutting down for a half dozen feet through the black soil the shores are generally well fringed with heavy timber especially upon the northern bank while the land to the south and southwest stretches upward in gentle slopes to a picturesque rolling prairie abounding in wooded knolls it was in the large grove on the north bank near its junction with the rock that black hawk in the month of may eighteen thirty two parlayed with the potawatomies it was here that on the fourteenth of that month he learned of the treachery of Stillman's militiamen, and at once made that famous sally with his little band of forty braves, which resulted in the rout of the cowardly whites, who fled pell-mell over the prairie toward Dixon, asserting that Black Hawk and two thousand bloodthirsty warriors were sweeping northern Illinois with the besom of destruction the country round about appears to have undergone no appreciable change in the half-century intervening between that event and to-day the topographical descriptions given in contemporaneous accounts of stillman's flight will hold good now and we were readily able to pick out the points of interest on the old battlefield returning to the rock we made excellent progress the atmosphere was bracing and there being a favoring northwest breeze our awning was stretched over a hoop for a sail the banks were now steep inclines of white sand and gravel it was like going through a railroad cut but in ascending the sides as we did occasionally to secure supplies from farmhouses or refill our canteen with fresh water there were found broad expanses of rolling prairie the farm establishments increase in number and prosperity windmills may be counted by the scores the cultivation of enormous cornfields is everywhere in progress and cattle are more numerous than ever three or four miles above oregon the banks rise to the dignity of hills 
which come sweeping down with verdure clad to the very water's edge and present an inspiring picture quite resembling some of the most charming stretches of the hudson at the entrance to this lovely vista we encountered a loggy little pleasure steamer anchored in the midst of the stream which is here nearly half a mile wide for the river now perceptibly broadens the captain a ponderous old sea-dog wearing a cowboy's hat and having the face of an operatic pirate with a huge pipe between his black teeth sat lounging on the bulwark watching the force of the current into which he would listlessly expectorate he was at first inclined to be surly as we hauled alongside and checked our course but gradually softened down as we drew him out in conversation and confided to us that he had in earlier days sailed the salt water a circumstance of which he seemed very proud he also gave us some pointers on the lay of the land as he called them for our future guidance down the river one of which was that there were dandy sceneries below oregon in comparison with which we had thus far seen nothing worthy of note as for himself he said that his place on the neighboring shore was connected by telephone with oregon and his steamer frequently transported pleasure parties to points of interest above the dam ganymede spring is on the southeast bank at the base of a lofty sandstone bluff a mile or so above oregon from the top of the bluff which is ascended by a succession of steep flights of scaffolding stairs a magnificent bird's-eye view is attainable of one of the finest river and forest landscapes in the mississippi basin the grounds along the riverside at the base are laid out in graceful carriage drives and over the head of a neatly hewn basin into which gushes the copious spring is a marble slab thus inscribed ganymede springs named by margaret fuller countess de soli who named this bluff eagle's nest and beneath the cedars on its crest wrote ganymede to his eagle july fourth eighteen forty three oregon was reached just before noon a walk through the business quarter revealed a thrifty but oldish-looking town of about two thousand inhabitants the portage on the east side around a flowering mill dam involved a hard pull up the gravelly bank thirty feet high and a haul of two blocks length along a dusty street there was a fine stretch of eroded palisades in front of the island on which we lunched the color effect was admirable patches of gray brown white and old gold much corroded with iron vines of many varieties dangle from earth-filled crevices and swallows by the hundreds occupy the dimples neatly hollowed by the action of the water in some ancient period when the stream was far broader and deeper than now but at times even in our day the rock is a raging torrent the condition of the trees along the river banks and on the thickly strewn island pastures shows that not many months before it must have been on a wild rampage for the great trunks are barked by the ice to the height of fifteen feet above the present water level everywhere on banks and islands are the evidences of disastrous floods 
and the ponderous icebreakers above the bridges give one an awesome notion of the condition of affairs at such a time farmers assured us that in the spring of eighteen eighty seven the water was at the highest stage ever recorded in the history of the valley many of the railway bridges barely escaped destruction while the numerous river ferries and the low country bridges in the bayous were destroyed by scores the banks were overflowed for miles together and back in the country for long distances causing the hasty removal of families and livestock from the bottoms while ice jams forming at the heads of the islands would break and the shattered floes go sweeping down with terrific force crushing the largest trees like reeds tearing away fences and buildings covering islands and meadows with deep deposits of sand and mud blazing their way through the forested banks and creating sad havoc on every hand we were amply convinced by the thousands of broken trees which littered our route the snags the mud-baked islands the frequent stretches of sadly demoralized bank that had not yet had time to reweave its charitable mantle of verdure that the rock on such a spring tear must indeed be a picture of chaos broken loose this explained why these hundreds of beautiful and spacious islands many of them with charming combinations of forest and hillock and meadow and occasionally enclosing pretty ponds blushing with water lilies are none of them inhabited but devoted to the pasture of cattle who swim or ford the intervening channels according to the stage of the flood also why the picturesque bottoms on the main shore are chiefly occupied by the poorest class of farmers who eke out their meagre incomes with the spoils of the gun and line it was a quarter of five when we beached at the upper ferry landing at grand detour it is a little tumble-down village of one or two small country stores a church and a dozen modest cottages there is also on the river front a short row of deserted shops their paintless battlement fronts in a sadly collapsed condition while hard by are the ruins of two or three dismantled mills the settlement is on a bit of prairie at the base of the preliminary flourish of the big bend of the rock hence the name grand detour a reminiscence of the early french explorers the foot of the peninsula is but half a mile across while the distance around by river to the lower ferry on the other side of the village is four miles having learned that the bottoms below here were for a long distance peculiarly gloomy and but sparsely inhabited we thought it best to pass the night at grand detour bespeaking accommodations at the tavern and post-office combined we rode around the bend to the lower landing through some lovely stretches of river scenery in which bold palisades and delightful little meadows predominated the walk back to the village was through a fine park of elms the stage was just in from dixon with the mail there was an eager little knot of villagers in the cheerful sitting-room of our homelike inn watching the stout landlady as she distributed it in a checkerboard rank of glass-faced boxes fenced off in front of a sunny window 
it did not appear that many of those who overlooked the distribution of the mail had been favored by their correspondents they were chiefly concerned in seeing who did get letters and papers and in passing the time of day as gossiping is called in rural communities seated in a darkened corner waiting patiently for supper the announcement of which was an hour or more in coming we were much amused at the mirror of local events which was unconsciously held up for us by these loungers of both sexes and all ages who fairly filled the room and oftentimes waxed hot in controversy the central theme of conversation was the preparations underway for decoration day which was soon to arrive grand detour was to be favored with a speaker from dixon a regular major from the war gents and none of your mellish fellers an enthusiastic old man with a crutch persisted in announcing there were to be services at the church and some exercises at the cemetery where lie buried the half-dozen honored dead grand detour sacrifice upon the altar of the union the burning question seemed to be whether the village preacher would consent to offer prayer upon the occasion if the church choir insisted on being accompanied on the brand new cabinet organ which the congregation had voted to purchase but to which the pastor and one of the leading deacons were said to be bitterly opposed as smacking of worldliness and antichrist only the evening before this deacon armed with a sledgehammer and rope had been seen to go to the sanctuary in company with his hired man and enter through one of the windows which they pried up for the purpose a good gossip who lived hard by closely watched such extraordinary proceedings there was a great noise within then some planks were pitched out of the window soon followed by the deacon and his man the window was shut down the planks thrown atop of the horse-shed roof and the men disappeared investigation in the morning by the witness revealed the fact that the choir seats and the organ platform had been torn down and removed here was a pretty howdy-do the wiry raspy little woman with her gray finger curls and withered simpering smile had with great forbearance kept her choice bit of news to herself till post-office time sitting in a big rocking chair close to the delivery window knitting vigorously on an elongated stocking she demurely asserted that she never wanted to say nothing gin nobody or to hurt nobody's feelings and then detailed the entire circumstance to the patrons of the office as they came in the excitement created by the story which doubtless lost nothing in the telling was at fever heat we were sorely tempted to remain over till decoration day when it was freely predicted there would be some folks as wished they'd never been born and see the outcome of this tempest in a teapot but our program unfortunately would not admit of such a diversion others came and went but the gossipy little body with the gray curls rocked on holding converse with both postmistress and public 
keeping a keen eye on the character of the male matter obtained by the villagers and neighboring farmers and freely commenting on it all so that newcomers were kept quite well informed as to the correspondence of those who had just departed a sad-eyed little woman in rusty black modestly slipped in and was handed out a much creased and begrimed envelope which she nervously clutched she was hurrying silently away when the gossip sharply exclaimed good land cindy prescott some folks don't know a body when they meet suppose you've been hearin from jim at last i'd been thinkin twas about time you got a letter from his hand if he war ever goin to write at all tell ye cynthy prescott you're too indulgent on that man o yours if i but cynthia prescott turning her black deep sunken eyes to her inquisitor with a piteous tearful look as though stung to the quick sidled out backward through the wire screen door which sprung close with a vicious bang and i saw her hurrying down the village street firmly grasping at her bosom what the mail had brought her probably a brutal demand for more money from a worthless husband who was wrecking his life craft on some far away shore goodness me but the gilberts is a puttin on style ejaculated the village censor as a rather smart young horseman went out with a bunch of letters and a little packet tied up in red twine that there was visitin cards from the printer shop in dixon and cost a dollar can't fool me there's some folks as have to be leavin cards on folks's center tables when they goes makin calls for fear folks will be a forgettin their names when i go a callin i go a visitin and take my work along and stop and have a social cup of tea and they ain't going to forget for a while that i dropped in on them neither this way they have down in dixon what i hear of of ringin at a bell and settin down with your bonnet on and sayin howdy do and a pretty well i thank yer and jumpin up as if the fire bell was ringin and goin on through the whole neighborhood as if yer on springs and then a tracin back home and braggin how many calls you've made i ain't got no use for that it'll do for dixon folks what catch the style from chicagri and they gettin it from paris every year i'm told but i ain't no use for it maybe old man gilbert is made of money his women folks act so with all this eh, apin the clays who's been gettin visitin cards all the way from chicagri which they ordered of a book again last fall with gilt letters and roses and sich like in the corners and twas clay's brother-in-law as told me he never did see such carryin ons over at the old house with letter writin paper sopped in cologne and lace curtains in the bedroom winders and ye can't tell me but the gilberts too is a-goin to the dogs with their paper patterns from dixon and dress samples from a big shop in chicagri which i seen from the picture on the envelope was as big as all grand detour and both fairy lanterns thrown in grand detour fashions ain't good enough for some folks i reckon and thus the busy-tongued woman discoursed in a vinegary tone upon the characteristics of grand detour folks as illustrated by the nature of the evening mail 
frequently interspersing her remarks with a hearty disclaimer of anything malicious in her temperament at last however the supper bell rang the doughty postmistress who had been remarkably discreet throughout all this village tirade having darted in and out between the kitchen and the office attending to her dual duties locked the postal gate with a snap and asked her now solitary patron anything i can do for you maria the gossip gathered up her knitting hastily averred that she had merely dropped in for her weekly paper but now remembered that this was not the day for it and ambled off to reload with venom for the next day's mail after supper we walked through the peaceful pretty grass-grown village shearing was in progress at the barn of the inn and the streets were filled with bleating sheep and nodding billy goats the place presented many evidences of former prosperity and we were told that a dozen years before it had boasted of a plough factory two or three flouring mills and a good water power but the railroad that it was expected would come to grand detour had touched dixon instead with the result that the village industries had been removed to dixon the dam had fallen in and now there were less than three hundred inhabitants between the two ferries when one of the storekeepers told me he had practically no country trade but that his customers were the villagers alone i was led to inquire what supported these three hundred people who had no industries among them no river traffic owing to customary low water in summer and who seemed to live on each other many of the villagers i found are laborers who work upon the neighboring farms and maintain their families here a few are farmers the corners of whose places run down to the village others there are who either own or rent or share farms in the vicinity going out to their work each day much of their livestock and crops being housed at their village homes there are half a dozen retired farmers who have either sold out their places or have tenants upon them and live in the village for sociability's sake or to allow their children the benefit of the excellent local school mingled with these people are a shoemaker a tailor a storekeeper who live upon the necessities of their neighbors two fishermen spend the summer here in a tent selling their daily catch to the villagers and neighboring farmers and occasionally shipping by the daily mail stage to dixon fourteen miles away the preacher and his family are modestly supported a young physician wins a scanty subsistence, and for considerably over half the year the schoolmaster shares with them what honors and sorrows attach to these positions of rural eminence our pleasant spoken host was the driver of the dixon stage as well as star root mail contractor adding the conduct of a farm to his other duties with his wife as postmistress and a pretty buxom daughter who waited on our table and was worth her weight in gold grand detour folks said that he was bound to be a millionaire yet as grand detour lives so live thousands of just such little rural villages all over the country viewed from the railway track or river channel they appear to have been once larger than they are today the sight of the unpainted houses the ruined 
factory the empty stores the grass and weeds in the street the lacklustre eyes of the idlers may induce one to imagine that here is the home of hopeless poverty and despair but although the railroad which they expected never came or the railroad which did come went on and scheduled the place as a flag station still there is a certain inherent vitality here an undefined something that holds these people together a certain degree of hopefulness which cannot rise to the point of ambition a serene satisfaction with the things that are grand detour folks and folks like them are as blissfully content as the denizens of chicago end of the rock river chapter five grand detour folks